In eighth grade, I was in Mrs. Robinson's English class. This is no connection to The Graduate and Simon and Garfunkel. It's not that. Um, but Mrs. Robinson was my English teacher. I was, I was the youngest kid in class. So I, was tw- I was like 12, maybe. 12, probably. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever it was, um, I was young. Um, and we were assigned a book report, but it was an oral report. So we all went in mass down to the library, and we all picked out our books. Um, this was, I guess, 43-ish years ago. I can still tell you what the cover of that book looked like. I can still tell you the name of the book, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. And you're saying, that sounds weird for an eighth grader. It is. But it was a Star Wars book. I still remember the cover had, I think, Luke Leah and the outline of Darth Vader. And I believe in fourth grade, my dad took me and my brother to the theater to see Star Wars. So I thought, oh, that's cool. I don't know if that's why I chose the book or if the fact that the book was written by a guy named Alan Dean Foster. And I thought, well, that's cool. He's got my name, only backwards. Um, Whatever the case may be, I grabbed it off the shelf. It was a big book, and I never read a book unless my teacher made me. So um, I grabbed the book, I checked it out, and I read it. And oddly enough, I really, really enjoyed this book. I devoured this book. I got my notebook paper. I wrote out my book report, a couple of page book report. And the day came when we were to give these reports in front of class. And so I believe, if I remember correctly, the way it worked was, okay, we'll take all the volunteers. Who wants to be next? Who wants to be next? And we were done with volunteers. Okay, the rest of you are doing alphabetical order. You can imagine I was always last. Um, So I'm sitting there getting more and more and more nervous about my book report. I had taken all the time to read the book. I had taken all the time to write the report, which was a very big deal for me. Look up underachiever, I'm there. And, um, but when it came time, closer and closer for me to give my report, I took my report, I hid it in my desk, and when she called my name, I said, I didn't do the report. And I took a zero. Um, The anxiety and the fear of talking in front of people was like an insurmountable Mount Everest. And I lied about having, I lied that I hadn't done a report that I actually did. Like, some kids lie to get an A to avoid a zero. I lied to get a zero to avoid getting an A with work I'd already done. Is that not the dumbest thing you've ever heard? Anyway, <laughs> I've looked back on that scene hundreds of times as through the years, and I wonder, what could someone have told little 12-year-old scrawny little Dean that would have possibly helped? Yeah. You couldn't have told me to be more prepared because I was ready to give that report. Um, I I think of this. First of all, maybe the problem is your topic. You enjoyed the book, but, I mean, you weren't passionate about the book. 
Find a book that, that like, you're so excited about this book, they can't keep you from volunteering to go first. Like, you've got to talk about this book. You love it so much, fear and anxiety are nothing in comparison. Maybe more importantly, rethink how you look at your classmates. In my mind, that classroom was a hostile environment. In my mind, they were just waiting for me to start talking so that they could snicker and giggle and whisper their snide remarks to each other because I had a history of this. You see, since elementary school, I would visibly shake if I talked in front of people. Like, if you were sitting in the back row, you could hear my voice quiver, you could see my hand shaking, you could see my tongue white. It was so dry that I, I couldn't hardly talk. Um, so all my life, I had endured people like, what's wrong with Dean? He's falling apart up there. Poor Dean just can't get it together to talk in front of class. So I convinced myself that everybody in class was my enemy until eighth grade hit, and it just became too much, and I lied and got out of it. So it was a question of passion for the topic and how I viewed my classmates as antagonistic. Oddly enough, 10 years after that, I stood in front of a Wednesday night church service with a Bible and some sermon notes, and I was simply amazed that I had zero anxiety. Like I was sitting here going, something is wrong in this situation because I'm not scared. What is going on? Well, I had a topic I was passionate about and a room full of people who loved me. And that was the difference. Add the fact that I had met Jesus and the Holy Spirit was living inside of me. Maybe that's the difference, right? <laughs> yeah. Most of us are not called upon to do a lot of speaking in front of rooms gathered full of people, right? But we all have an audience. We all live around humans. Um, and when it comes down to whether or not we speak with confidence or with anxiety, whether or not we speak with boldness with, or with, with peace, with respect and with gentleness, or with fear, preparation or no preparation, a lot of it has to do with knowing your audience and knowing who is in you. Jesus told his disciples many, many times, the day's going to come when you're going to face very hostile audiences. And they're going to be worse than hostile, right? They're, they're not just going to giggle and snicker while you're there. You're, they're going to want to kill you. They're going to beat you. They're going to flog you. And you're going to need not be anxious. <laughs> you don't need to be anxious and you don't need to have your book report written out ahead of time on notebook paper. 
You know what Jesus told them the secret would be? And this is amazing. Jesus told them the secret would be to just say whatever. And there's our word for October. Whatever. Right? Most of the time you hear this word, it's a word of of apathy or indifference said with a shoulder shrug. Whatever. Or maybe a word of scorn and contempt with an eye roll and a sigh. (laughs) Whatever. But sometimes it's a word of amazing possibility, like last week from Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory for your love and your faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever pleases him. So whatever comes after whatever, whatever comes after whatever, makes all the difference in the world, right? However you finish, finish that sentence could be a, just incredible. And this morning, Jesus says, when you're in that situation, say whatever. It's still, in this situation, God's whatever. But the whatever is with the disciples, the followers of Jesus, who need to depend on his whatever in what will be the most difficult situation of their life. This is found in Mark chapter 13, um, a chapter where Jesus is telling them what is coming. And we're just going to look at a little bit of, of a snippet. But Mark 13 begins with Jesus and the disciples. And they're, they, they've been in the, in the temple teaching And they're leaving the temple, and one of the disciples says, Teacher, look at this place. Look at these massive stones. Look at these magnificent buildings. Jesus, this place is incredible. Look at the size of these stones. If you've been to Jerusalem, if you've been to the temple, if you've ever taken the tour where they take you down underneath and you squeeze your way down, there's... There are some rocks down there that are the largest of their size on, in all the world. There are cut rocks down there the size of school buses. <laughs> Huge, right? And the disciples are just like, Jesus, are you checking this out? And Jesus says, do you see these buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. So this is, this is Herod's temple we're talking about. This is... This is the temple that Rome is building for the Jews. This is, this is magnificence. This is huge. These are, this is a, a physically impossible thing that Jesus seems to be describing. Like, who could possibly move these stones? Plus, why in the world would God ever allow such a thing to happen to his temple? Though, of course, God's people had always been asking that question. God's people had always said, go back to Isaiah and Jeremiah. It's fine. We've got the temple. (laughs) Yeah, not so much. Well, we're not going to get into the timeline of this, but fast forward to 70 AD and Jesus' words come true. But as Jesus was sitting, verse 3, on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, so they go down a valley, you're up on this other hill. It's a big hill. We'll call it a mountain for their sake, but it's a mountain. They're looking across at the city, the temple, 
Peter, James, John, and Andrew kind of get Jesus aside, and it says they asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? Jesus, what you're saying is unreal. When is this going to happen, and, and how are we going to know? And Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are just the beginning of birthday pangs. Now, I'm sure the disciples never rolled their eyes at Jesus. Good opportunity here. They asked a when question. When I said when, Jesus, I meant like, you got a timeline for us? Got a chart? How long from this moment a date would be cool? Like, this is, this is a big deal. If you, if you could just tell us how, like, we don't want this coming out of the blue. We want to see this coming. But Jesus wasn't interested in giving his followers a date. He was interested in his followers being discerning and wise and prepared. So Jesus gives a long answer to their short question, and we're just going to look at the very first part of his answer. He says, let's going to just be business as usual, right? Wars here, wars there. He says this, verse 9. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils, flogged in the synagogues, On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. And whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Now, can you imagine the disciples when he says that first part there? You're going to be handed over to local councils, flogged flogged in a synagogue. The synagogue? Jesus, we grew up in the synagogue. We went to school in the synagogue. How would we get flogged? That's where we read scripture. That's where all of our cousins go on Saturday. That's where prayer meeting happens. That's where Sunday school, Saturday school is, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) That's community. You're going to be flogged there. You're going to be taken to city council. You're going to stand before governors. You're going to stand before kings. Just be on your guard. Because you're going there on account of me, on account of me as witnesses to them. And then that line in verse 10, it seems so out of place. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. Right between that and verse 11, which is about being arrested and brought to trial. As if to say, wait a minute, you mean part of taking the gospel to all nations is being arrested and beaten? Like, we're not going to take the Gospels to all nations without this happening? Like, part of the witness is going to be this? 
Like, to reach all of those unreached people groups, people are going to have to be flogged and arrested and stand before kings? He says, whenever, not if ever, whenever, ooh, there's a new sermon series. After I get through with whatever, I'll preach on whenever. <laughs> that won't be as fun because nobody goes, <laughs> whenever. They just say whatever. So, yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway, whenever you're arrested, not if it happens, when you're arrested and brought to trial, don't worry what you're going to say. Now, let me talk for just a moment about what this isn't, okay? Number one, and I have very personal experience with this. That's why I'm bringing this up. Number one, this is not not preparing a sermon before preaching to a congregation. I've heard this. This is a very independent, fundamental Baptist East Tennessee thing. God called you. Why do you need school? Why are you going to seminary? If God called you, why do you even need to prepare a sermon? You stand up in that pulpit because Jesus said... You open your mouth, and the Spirit will give you whatever you need to say. You don't need education to do it. Just open your mouth and say whatever. God bless them. I've heard some of the whatever. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'm waiting. Mike Kelly teaches a speech class. I'm just waiting for her to do this. Okay, hey, you've got a speech due next week. Don't worry about it. Just stand and say whatever the Spirit gives you. No, no, no. Prepare your speech. <laughs> yeah. I often want to say, and I have relatives who've told me this, do you say the same thing to your heart surgeon? <laughs> okay, I'll stop. <laughs> if God called you to be a heart surgeon, who needs med school? Anyway... It doesn't mean that. And I think only one time as a pastor have I ever prepared a sermon and then stood up and prepared something that I was completely unprepared to preach. And that was here at Creekside Bible Church while we were back at the school. And if you didn't notice, praise the Lord. And I don't plan on doing it again. But it just happened to happen that morning. Anyway, uh, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean... One day, you guys will pander to politicians so that you can get selfies made to send back to your congregation. That's not what it means either. This has very historical prophetic context. Jeremiah 1, the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send to you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. Same chapter. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, and do not be terrified. Listen, Jeremiah's ministry did not go swimmingly. Jeremiah's ministry went hard. He lived in the bottom of a well. He was beaten. He wasn't like taking selfies with the king, sending them back to the church going, look who I'm hanging out with, y'all. It's going great up here in Jerusalem. No, it was horrible. God didn't even say, say whatever I tell you, and it'll go great. It's like, say whatever I tell you. By the way, this isn't going to go so well. Just don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So the disciples were in this line of the prophets, if you will. 
It's difficult for them. They all died for this. So when the disciples stood before governors and kings, they did so in chains. They did so because they were preaching the gospel, a gospel that left them at odds with people who loved their power and their influence. The apostles stood before government officials who told them, do not preach anymore in the name of Jesus and beat them as punishment and warning. And then they left and said, we just got beaten for Jesus. Isn't that the coolest thing that ever happened? Yeah. Do not worry beforehand. This is kind of like when someone tells you, hey, church, look at me. Whatever you do, do not think of a white polar bear right now. Don't think about a white polar bear right now. So what are you doing? You're thinking about a white polar bear, right? So Jesus says ahead of time, hey, listen, they're going to flog you, beat you, bring you before kings. Don't be anxious ahead of time and don't worry about what you're going to say. If you're told that in advance, you're going to be, oh my goodness, I'm going to get arrested. They're going to, what am I going to say? I'm nervous already. It hasn't even happened yet, right? You, can you imagine? If I, it's me, I'm like pacing myself. What if they say this? What if they ask me this? How will I respond? Why is that guy pacing his cell? Because he's got to talk to them tomorrow and he's worried about it, right? The Spirit will give you whatever and you will say whatever. But what if the Spirit gives me whatever and I don't like the whatever? Is there a plan B that I prepared in advance? No, he says, look at the word he used, at that time, in the moment, you will get whatever you need to say. Woof. <laughs> Seriously, Jesus? Whatever? So this is a moment where, like, they're, str they're struggling with the fact that Jesus has said, I'm going to get arrested, I'm going to get crucified, I'm going to rise again, I'm going to leave. They're struggling with that, and he's, he's going to tell them, no, 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 it's best if I leave, because if I leave, I'll send the Spirit, and he will be in you. So now it's like, well, can the Spirit be trusted in the moment when I need him? And Jesus says, oh, the Spirit will give, actually give you words in the moment, and you will speak those words, and you will speak them in such a way that it's God talking to the people who arrested you. You'd be like, wait, was that the Spirit? Did the Spirit tell me to say? Yeah, right. No, no, no. It's, it's trust me. Trust me. So the disciples would need the faith that the Spirit will come through the courage not to worry ahead of time, the courage to speak in the moment and trust that God will take care of the consequences, even if those consequences are more flogging and death, because Jesus doesn't say, and everything will be swell. <laughs> no. But just, this is an amazing thing. It is actually possible, Jesus says, that you will open your mouth and speak the Spirit's words and you can trust whatever. The Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you would say, Luke 12, Matthew 10. It will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So you're going to be standing there, and God's going to talk to these people, and you're just going to be the mouth. You don't have to. You, could, you have to be on your guard. L listen to the difference. Be on your guard, but don't be anxious. So in other words, there, there must be a way to be prepared with about, without worrying about it. You see? 
And it doesn't mean don't prepare if you're going to the ends of the earth and expect, no, that's not it either. That's how the gospel goes to the nations. That's how the gospel goes to our neighborhoods. I've never been flogged in my own neighborhood. I've never been called to the city council meeting. I've never even been called to an HOA meeting. I guess that's about the lowest form of government around, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I've never been called up for preaching the gospel, so maybe, I don't know. It's just interesting to follow this through, like if you went through the book of Acts. Is this what's happening? Like when Stephen is dragged out and they're going to stone him and he starts preaching this whole chapter-long gospel. And it says they didn't know what to say. They're like plugging their ears because just his face was like the face of an angel. He's just speaking the words of the Spirit. The Spirit gave him words, right? And the disciples get arrested, thrown into prison. Who did Paul stand before? Paul was constantly standing before some government official. Stripes on his back. Now, you might be thinking, I want to use this as transition to finish up because we're running late. How does this work with 1 Peter 3? If you weren't thinking that, well, think with me for just a second because doesn't it say in 1 Peter 3, in your heart, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Wait a minute, it says right there, be prepared to answer. But can you see that's a different sort of audience and a different sort of context? And this, the audience makes all the difference. Here he's saying, be prepared because there are people in this world who are looking for hope and your life should display hope in such a way that people who are looking for hope will look at your life, see hope and say, hey, where'd you get that hope? And you will be prepared to give them the answer. So this is Christ set apart as Lord in our hearts. Filled with the Spirit, we enter a situation with a person looking for hope, and we're ready. Now, I I just want to say what I believe that I have seen over like the last 10 years. Because I believe as I look at social media and as I talk to friends in churches all over and Christians from all over, I believe we have badly got this flipped around. Christians who I love dearly, from what I see on social media, I see Christians who are angry and anxious about what they should say to people they think are opposed to them and have mostly forgotten about the people around them who are looking for hope. Instead of not worrying about the people who are opposed to them and just trusting the Spirit for words in the moment of opposition and persecution, and instead of abiding in the words of God and walking in step with the Spirit so that we're always ready to answer those who are looking for a reason to hope, what I'm seeing is an awful lot of Christians who are instead anxious and argumentative towards their supposed opposition and arguing with them 
while forgetting the fact that there are actual people looking for hope who need a gentle, respectful answer. In other words, we've been taught to believe that this world is divided into right and left. And if you're on the right, everybody on the left is stupid and evil. And if you're on the left, everybody on the right is stupid and evil. So basically, everybody that's not on your side is your opposition. And the goal is to argue them into shutting up. And if in the process I can make them less stupid, I will get bonus points. And trust me, I know the world is watching because I hear it. We've forgotten about the people who are looking for hope, who just want a respectful, gentle, peaceful answer. The world isn't divided the way the news tells us the world is divided. I'll just read this and we'll finish. We should, not av- we should avoid thinking that the promise implies that the Holy Spirit will give wisdom and grace and power to a mind that is habituated to foolishness, flesh, and self-reliance. The promise says we should not be anxious, not that we should be empty-headed. We should be free from fear, not free from truth and faith. The way the Spirit works is by calling to mind the biblical truth we have already treasured in our hearts, Psalm 119.11, by helping us with clarity and conviction and timing and situational discernment and love, knowing your audience. Dozens of intellectual, emotional, verbal, physical, and spiritual factors coming together in a spontaneous witness to the truth, and the Holy Spirit governs all of it. And the words of Christ are the raw material the Holy Spirit works with to teach us what to say. Nothing is more natural than being anxious. Nothing is more supernatural than gently and fearlessly speaking the words of Christ in the power of the Spirit. (laughs) Know your audience. Know your audience. Be passionate about the truth and love people. And the Spirit will give you whatever. Whatever. Will you pray with me? Lord, um, I pray that in the coming week um, we would treasure your word And that your spirit would be able to draw out of us what we have treasured. That we would live in confidence. That we would walk in peace. That we would walk in love for our neighbor. And I pray for the church in America that you would remove from us this argumentative spirit. That you'd help us to know and love people better because you know us and love us. And you're not constantly trying to shut us down, Lord, but 
you're gentle and patient with us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now in this room that we would set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts. That we would abide in your word and your words would abide in us. And then when we're faced with the moment to speak, we would be ready to speak. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.